Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I invite you here in this place. I pray for your presence and your peace. Amen. On Wednesday morning, I woke up afraid. Some of my family and friends are right there with me, feeling the same way. Some of my family and friends couldn't understand why I felt that way. So let me try to explain. As a woman who was sexually violated as a minor on multiple occasions, as a woman who's since experienced unwelcome groping on multiple occasions, as a woman who's received countless degrading and demeaning remarks, as a woman who's been called unkind, rigid, and even nasty for holding a strong point of view, I'm afraid. I fear for my unborn daughter and the battles she'll face through her lifetime, battles that I thought we already won. I fear for my son that our culture might teach him that name-calling, bullying, and aggression somehow demonstrates strength. I think about the students in my sister's elementary school, where 23% of them are not U.S. citizens, whose families came to this country as refugees and immigrants, believing the inscription on the Statue of Liberty that reads... Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest twist me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. My sister tells me that these students have been crying at school as they and their parents feel deeply unwelcome and fear deportation. I think about the dozens of stories pouring in from across the country, stories relayed from friends, stories I'm sure you have heard and seen on social media. Women getting spit on while on public transportation, verbally assaulted while standing at the copier at work, Muslim Americans cautioned to walk on the wall side versus the train side when they're on the subway platform, and just down the road at the University of Pennsylvania, black students unwillingly added to a group me text barrage with horrific racist words and images and saying things like, I don't feel safe on campus and everyone is fearing what violence is next. Here we are, a nation with millions of stories that would have something to say about fear. Whether that fear is about the revelation that our nation has a shocking tolerance for rhetoric that espouses bigotry, sexism, racism, and xenophobia, and what that might teach our kids. Whether that fear is for personal safety and protection, or whether that fear comes from decaying industry, sharply declining incomes, and a lack of job opportunity in an area that we once called the steel belt, but now refer to as the rust belt. Here we are with overt division, like we haven't known for some years, each side hurling insult and accusation, at the other. A recent report from Pew Research found that more than four in ten Dem- Democrats say and Republicans say that the other policies parties are so misguided that they will threaten our nation. The same report says that half of Democrats and about half of Republicans say the other party makes them afraid. So what now? And as much as I say this to you, I encourage myself as a community that believes in Jesus, we connect with Jesus to face that fear. And not in some kind of like, hey, God is on the throne, so it's all going to be okay kind of platitude that we tell ourselves to avoid painful realization 
or make safe a world that feels fraught with trouble. We connect with Jesus' eyes open and recognize that it might not be okay for some of us. But even so, we can't let fear cripple us, change us, or silence us. We can't let fear rule who we become or how we choose to be as people in this life. In John 16, Jesus tells his disciples, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The gospel of Christ is not a gospel or a story that's without trouble. He knew this, Jesus knew this, but tells us not to be afraid. 1 John 4 says a little bit about how to handle that fear, and it says, This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. These promises, the promise that Jesus made in John 16 and this promise here in 1 John, they're not promises of safety. They're not promises that things will be easy. They're promises that confidence comes from connecting with God incarnate in Jesus who overcome with love for humanity, gave up ultimate power, endured injustice, suffered pain, and walked a life like many of us have walked and are walking today to undo all of the damage. And essentially, I think that's what sin is, right? Just damage. Damage we do to ourselves, damage we do to other people. He sacrificed all of that to undo all of the damage in this world. These are promises that a life confident in Jesus Loving like Jesus, living like Jesus, even in the midst of trouble, perhaps even expecting trouble, is a life that's profoundly meaningful and well-lived. So what now? I think we have to stand together for justice. In his first sermon, delivered in a synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus stood up and announced what a lot of scholars believe uh, was the mission of his ministry. Here's the story from Luke. It's from Luke 4, uh, verses 16 to 21. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for sight of the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. A moment ago I said that Jesus came to undo all the damage in this world, and perhaps when he surveyed where that damage had the heart had its tightest grip. He saw the poor and the powerless, and he delivered this message to show us what heaven looks like for those at the margins. Here we see that Jesus came to stand for the poor, the powerless, the prisoner, the captive, and the oppressed. Jesus came to bring equality, to bring justice, to bring freedom, to bring hope. He came to bring us heaven, a place entirely free of these troubles that we face, a place of harmony and peace. And he showed us what that looked like and asked us to continue in his mission. In Matthew 16, starting in verse 24, he says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple 
must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? The cross of Jesus, the cross that he asks us to take up to follow him is synonymous with sacrifice and to stand for justice like Jesus did for justice, to undo the damage like Jesus did, we must be ready to take up our crosses and sacrifice. So to those of us with power, are we ready to share it? To those to lose it for the sake of a society that resembles heaven, that looks like heaven, that's heaven on earth. To those of us with wealth, are we ready to give it in order to rebalance income inequality? To those of us, to those of us with privilege, are we ready to use it in order to advocate for others, to risk our reputations for saying and standing for something that might be unpopular. Opinions come easy, but sacrifice does not. We can often think someone else will do it, someone else will give, someone else will intervene, someone else will stand up. But now we see that this is not necessarily so. We, together, must give. We must intervene. We must stand together those of us here today, all from diverse backgrounds and experiences, to say that we'll together carry this mission of Jesus and stand for justice. But to do that, we must listen to one another. To those of us who've experienced discrimination, inequality, or fear for our safety, can we share our stories with people in this community? Can we talk to others about how to help, engage in a dialogue about what needs to change, to persevere even if others don't understand what we're talking about. And to all of us, let's commit to really, really listen. Not just hearing the words spoken, not just trying to empathize with somebody who has a tough story to tell, but listening in a way that leads to actual felt change so that we can see justice come for all people. So what now? We love our enemies. Jesus did not withhold his love from anyone. He showed kindness and grace to many people who qualified in his day as enemies. Tax collectors considered a group of traitors who frequently demanded bribes and stole money from the common person. Quote, unquote, sinners who were enemies of the religious people. A Roman centurion who was a representative of political oppression and occupation in Israel. Nicodemus a Pharisee who was considered an elitist enemy of the common person, a Samaritan woman at the well, a person from a despised people group, and more than that, a woman considered a sinner. And by loving them all, he showed us that all are welcome, that he doesn't play favorites, bestowing grace on some and withholding it from others. And in times like this, it can be very difficult to understand how to do that. Some of us might not be in that place to say that we're ready to love our enemies, I mean, we can look at that model of Jesus and think it ideal for someone like Jesus, but we're just not there, and I get that. Are we really called to love in the midst of hatred and mistreatment? Can we rely on love alone to bring change? Wouldn't love for our enemies somehow imply that we accept mistreatment or we accept what's happening? In Luke 6, Jesus says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. 
If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. In this sermon, Jesus does not advocate for passive acceptance. Quite the opposite. I think this is one of the most subversive, justice-centered calls that Jesus ever spoke to his listeners. First and foremost, he encourages encourages us to love our enemies to change them. And that's what Jesus did when he loved his enemies. During his travels, he met a man named Zacchaeus, um, who was the chief tax collector and extremely wealthy. And he got all his money by basically cheating and bribing other people, common people and poor people. Um, But on this travel, Jesus sees Zacchaeus up in a tree, and Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And they have dinner, and Jesus stays there, and through this interaction, Zacchaeus completely changes. He gives half his possessions to the poor and promises that he'll um, repay people that he stole from four times what he took. Theologian Walter Wink says this about this passage. He says, identifying enemies runs the risk of freezing them in their role and blocking their conversion. So in other words, if we resolve to treat our enemies as enemies, we entrench their opposition by giving them all the more reason to hate us. If we return hate with love, we expose injustice and disarm the weapons raised against us. And now for the part where Jesus is not advocating for passive acceptance. He says when, we ought that, when he says that we ought to turn the other cheek, it's not a passive action. In another telling of this sermon, Jesus specifies the right cheek, which is important to understand because in Jesus' culture, um, equals fought each other with fists. A slap on the cheek, however, came from someone who is not only exacting violence on another person, but someone who would have positioned themselves in a superior social position. It would have been a backhanded slap that perpetuated dominance and inequality in the relationship between the aggressor and the person who was receiving the violence. So turning the other cheek in this this, um, context meant one of two things. Either first, the aggressor had to use his left hand to hit the other person. The left hand was considered unclean, so using it would have been an intolerable display of injustice or the aggressor, was forced to use his fists to continue the violence. And the one receiving then would have been equals. So it's saying, if you're going to treat me this way, you have to face me as an equal. So turning the other cheek, as Jesus describes it here, exposes injustice and forces those in power to recognize the equality and the humanity of those they oppress. So I stand here today with a story, my own story, and a set of experiences. And while they include discrimination and sexual aggression, they also include quite a bit of privilege, and I recognize that. And for that, I don't believe that I can stand here and tell each and every one of you what turn the other cheek means to you, what your turn the other cheek action should be for you, or exactly how you should love your enemies, or when you should be ready to love your enemies or prescribe a way forward that fits for all of us. I can't, I can't do that. I haven't lived the life that every one of you here has lived. Your love, your turn the other cheek, your way forward, should emerge from a connection with Jesus and the confidence he brings to stand in the face of fear. And what I pray for our church 
is to be known as a place that shows disarming love and that deflates the power of violence and hate. So what now? We stand for unity. And this is not easy. As those around us, we watch fight from the depths of their own fear, endeavoring to take down those they perceive to stand in the way of their own security. And as those around us tolerate, sometimes even advocate for, discord to achieve a higher good, it's very tempting to do the same because sometimes it works. It looks like it works. But what happens then? What happens if that's how we respond? If we isolate ourselves, if we vilify those who prioritize different issues than we do, if we exclude those who we believe are the excluders themselves, if we justify vitriol and violence to achieve a more tolerant society, if we refuse to love people who don't love us in return, that's when we lose, I think. We lose ourselves, we lose this fight, and we become what we feared all along. I don't think we want to let that happen. Instead, we have to fight, as Ephesians 6 tells us, believing that our struggle is not against other people. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is bigger than any one person, any one politician, any group of people, any society. I feel like we're here at another moment in a very long history, hoping for, praying for, and expecting Jesus' way here on earth. We're expecting our earth to look more like heaven. And if we think that this fight is about something smaller than that, we miss the opportunity to show this world the way of Jesus, who sacrificed the power and privilege to undo all the damage and reconcile all people to God and to one another. Colossians 1, verses 19 to 20, speaking of Jesus, says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Our fight is against the forces that stand against reconciliation, against division, exclusion, and oppression. Ephesians 6 continues on and it says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Those are our weapons. Truth that proclaims justice for all in heaven on earth, peace that seeks reconciliation, Faith in a Jesus and Savior who modeled inclusion and embraced for his enemies. Righteousness that treats others with love, respect, and care. And salvation through a God who loves us all. It's through inclusion and unity that we introduce people to Jesus who loves, welcomes all people, and we win the minds and hearts of others to our cause. And that's when we win. So here we are today. Some of us are grieving. Some of us are angry and confused and afraid. People all around us are divided. 
And in the midst of all this, here is my prayer for us, that we write a different story, that our hearts connect with the spirit of Jesus to rest in confidence and safety, that we stand together for justice, listening, giving, and sacrificing until we can all say that all are treated equally, that we love together when it doesn't make sense and in so doing expose the weakness of intolerance and hate, that we fight for unity in order to see heaven come to earth, and that by walking alongside of those who disagree, we introduce them to a perfect love that embraces all people and gives everyone equal opportunity and thereby show the world Jesus and a life of ours not free of trouble, but a life that's well-lived. Let's pray. Father, as we worship together today, I pray for your grace for all of us. That for those of us who feel afraid, you would meet us in that fear and give us confidence to live like Jesus lived and to face the trouble that we might face. For those of us who are angry, I pray you meet us in that anger and sit with us in that. For those of us who have something to te- a story to tell, something to do, something to say, I pray you encourage us. And God is difficult and Unlike the world around us, this might be. I pray that you bind us together here. That we would really listen to each other. That we would be ready to change. That we could come together in pursuit of the mission of Jesus. That brings your heaven here on earth. And restores all the damage that's been done. I pray you give us grace and resolve and your Holy Spirit to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Becca. It just seems like any time our church needs something, um, Becca rises to the occasion. So thank you for your sermon this morning. I appreciate it. I also want to let you know that um, our church council, for a little bit now, before uh, has been considering how we can, as a community, specifically, proactively, and tangibly respond to the violence that we've been seeing over the last, that's been made more apparent in the last few years, and some of the things that have been happening in our society to address them and uh, what our role is in West Philadelphia and in this city. So I'd like to invite you all to continue to pray for that process. It's not a process the council is entering in alone, involving our members and our leaders in that process as well. Um, But we need discernment because we want to do what God is calling us to do so we can have the most impact. And there's a lot of things to choose from. So pray for us. And also, if you have any thoughts or input, please feel free to email me at uh, here at the church anytime as well.
Uh, if you're on our worship team, please make your way forward. And also, I want to invite a representative from the prayer team. Team prays before the church and asks God to give insight of what he's up to. Um, and so Jim's going to share some of those uh, impressions. Good morning. My name's Jim. I'm a member of the prayer team, as, as Brad mentioned. Uh, to, be, to be honest, I found it really hard to listen and pray this morning because there's a lot, I think, in many of our heads. And so it was just hard to to feel like I was in some way being quiet and listening for what God is doing. So I have uh, sort of two sets of things to share. Uh, first, I'm gonna, first, I'd like to share what I feel like was, has really been on my spirit and maybe it was something God was sharing with us this morning or maybe it's just what's been on my mind. Um, and then second, I had a particular image this morning I'd like to share as well. So first, um, uh, and I, uh, over the course of the week, I, as, as Becca shared, and I think as many of us have felt, I, most of you know I work with middle school students and listening to some of their responses. A couple things that I felt like God's really calling us to pray for. First, uh, as, as Becca mentioned, safety, uh, physical safety for those who feel more threatened now than they did before. Second, courage, as, I th as, as Becca really clearly laid out for us, Jesus doesn't necessarily call us to safety. Um, and so I think we should pray for courage. And then finally, solidarity, to combine the first two, uh, that Jesus would show us how to have courage and faith to stand with people who are threatened, oppressed, or attacked, even at risk to our own safety and security. So that's what's been on my heart and was on my heart as I prayed for us this morning. And then as I prayed, I, I felt like God gave me a little bit of an image of, a, of the ocean and a beach in the wintertime with the message that we probably don't go to the beach in the winter, but the beach in the winter is actually the same as the beaches in the summer. It's still the ocean, and it's still the beach, and in that sense that God uh, has made the same commitments to us and the same promise to us in the summer as he does in the winter, and that God is still there to be with us in both seasons. So we'll be in the prayer alcove. I'm happy to pray with you or pray with folks after the service. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. So we're going to move into a time of musical worship. Uh, you also notice that it's also a time when we receive our offering, um, which is a powerful way to worship. So don't be distracted, but you're welcome to join in. If this is your first time, you can join in, or you can just let it pass. There's no pressure. Um, you can also give online. You can text Philly to 77977 and get a link. You can do it that way. Um, but let's start our time of worship together by standing. Also, when those plates come by, please put your, uh, put your Connect cards in there, too. It's your opportunity to, uh, to turn those in. Uh, this 